Oh, well, I'm going to encourage you to find John chapter 15 as we'll dive back into our series on Transformed by the Gospel here in just a moment. But as you're doing that, it's certainly appropriate. It is a Memorial Day weekend in the, in the life of our, our nation, and it's a time when we remember uh, those who have given their lives in service to our country to secure the freedoms that, that most of the time we just take for granted, don't we? Uh, including uh, the, the freedom to gather like this, a uh, freedom to worship. And so I think it's appropriate for us in the context of worship to just uh, thank God for that freedom uh, and to uh, thank God for those who gave their lives uh, to help make it possible. So would you just take a moment uh, and let's, let's bow together. And I just want us just to start off just maybe with a moment of silence as we think and reflect on the freedoms that we have and those who have given their lives to help secure it. <laughs> Father, for most of us in the room, we have not known anything in our lifetime other than freedom, including the freedom to, to worship to pursue so many things. And Father, sometimes that which has always been a part of our life can not be as highly esteemed. And so, Father, today we just pause and we do say thank you. Thank you for the incredible freedoms that we have, including this freedom to worship, including a freedom to bear testimony to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you for uh, those who have helped secure it throughout the history of this country. And Father, particularly on this weekend, we give you thanks for those who gave their lives so that we could live free. And Father, we pray for their families, many of them still dealing with the consequences of having a loved one who is no longer there. Father, we pray that you would be their strength, you would be their comforter, you would be their healer. And Father, as we stand in this freedom today, Father, help us to understand that with that great privilege goes great responsibility. And Lord, let us steward it well uh, to honor those who gave their lives, uh, but far above that, even to honor our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for it's in his name that we do pray. Amen. Well, thank you uh, for that. Oh, Charles Spurgeon, the legendary Baptist preacher of another generation, was once approached by a member of his congregation. And he said, Pastor, I'm having trouble with understanding how people who have never heard about Jesus can be saved. Spurgeon paused for a moment and he said, that is a troubling question. But here's a more troubling question. How can those who have heard about Jesus do nothing to take the gospel to those who have never heard? How can those people claim to be genuinely saved? You see, when we 
Talk about being transformed by the gospel. It's inherent in that transformation is we come to an understanding that we were made for God and we were made for God's purpose and God's mission, that you and I were called to carry it out. In fact, it is right there in the center of this passage that we've been focusing on as kind of our core of this uh, series in John chapter 15. In verse 16, we hear these words from Jesus' lips, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he may give it to you. That even, even prayer is connected with this calling, this, this mission, this, this sense that we have been chosen to be those who, who carry out a mission, who bear fruit in our lives, including fruit that comes from sowing the seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ into the lives of others. Said another way, if the gospel has transformed us internally it will also be propelling us externally. The two are absolutely connected. If the gospel is doing a work in us internally, part of that internal, part of the evidence of internal transformation is that it more and more turns us outward. And when you have a diagram, I think we've included it in your note-taking guide, but hopefully this will kind of help us to, to, to visualize this. Some of us are, are more visual sometimes, but if you think about the starting place is always God's grace, right? Because He chose us. It's always God's grace. And that grace uh, has an inward movement of the heart, but also an outward movement of love for God and others. And so if you can think about it, as God's grace begins to move, we begin to see sin. And we've talked about this in this series. We become more and more aware of His holiness and more and more aware of our own sinfulness. And the recognition of that sin, which is also a part of His grace, uh, brings us to a point of repentance, of turning from... uh, self-reliant morality or self-assertive immoralities we've talked about earlier in the series. And it brings us to exercise faith, a trust in the finished, completed work of Jesus Christ. And we never grow beyond the gospel. We grow deeper in the gospel. And so we continue to come back to this. And then in, in, wait a minute, come back here. That invariably leads to an experience of joy, that we experience joy, which kind of feeds and fuels a continuation of God. God's grace. But while that's going on on the inside, God's grace also propels us externally. And so we begin to see differently. We begin to see opportunities to love and to minister in Christ Jesus' name. We begin to die more and more to self and step out in faith that, that God may want to use me in the life of somebody else, that, that more and more I come to understand not only His love for me, but His love for other people through me. And when we begin to experience that, we experience more and more rejoicing. And again, that fuels and feeds the grace. And so if you can think about this as just kind of this continual cycle, almost the circle eight fashion where we're continually anchored in God's grace and it's continually transforming us internally and propelling us externally into the lives of other people. And in this passage in John 15, uh, we can see and certainly 
way across the New Testament, three things, three things that lead to a boldness and a fervency in mission as God propels us outward. And the first is just an understanding of God's plan, of God's plan. Verse 16 said it clearly, I chose you. I chose you to go and bear much fruit. I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. That has always been God's plan, that he would use ordinary people like you and I to make a difference, an eternal difference in the lives of other people by sowing gospel seeds. You see, God's grace brings at least three things into our life. First of all, it brings conviction of sin. And that is always an evidence of God's grace. Uh, that one of the things that I've even said through the years, that one of the things as you're talking with a child or talking with a young person as they're beginning to, to understand and be open to faith is one of the things I look for is a conviction of sin. Is there a genuine sense of, I have sinned, I have rebelled against God, I have gone my way instead of God's way, because conviction of sin is one of the first evidences of the work of God's grace in our life. And that continues throughout our life as he continues to convict us of sin. That is not not a punishment of God, that is actually God's grace surfacing that, identifying that, and he'll point us to the only way to deal with that, and that's through Jesus Christ. Secondly, God's grace brings about conversion. There is a reconciliation that we're no longer aliens, but we are now part of the family of God, sons and daughters, now and forever. There is a regeneration, a new life, a new birth. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again, that there's something that has to happen at at the foundational level of who we are, this new life, this conversion experience. So he brings in conviction, uh, which, which by his grace can lead to a conversion so that we're reconciled to God, we're regenerated. We are that new creation that the opening video was talking about. And then he gives us a compulsion. Uh, A compulsion, his God's grace begins to compel us to to live for others, to to live for a a new kingdom, to to die to self and to, to give testimony to the saving work of God. And that has always, always, always been God's plan. It has always been God's plan to use ordinary people. So here in John 15, we have Jesus before he's going to the cross saying, I appointed you to go and to bear much fruit. And then we find, as the book of Acts opens up, this post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It is internal transformation, but it also propels us externally. It moves us externally to be a witness, to give witness, to bear witness with our life and our lips to the saving work of Jesus Christ. Dallas Willard, who, who wrote so well on the whole issue of spiritual growth and spiritual formations and spiritual disciplines, put it this way, you cannot privatize the fire of God that burns through the life of a disciple. Don't you love it? Sometimes we, we, we want to say, well, well my, my faith is personal and I, I don't like to talk about it. Listen, it's highly personal, but God never designed it to be private. 
It was always to be shared. It was always to be poured forth into the lives of other people. You cannot privatize the fire of God that burns through the life of a disciple. When I understand God's plan, it it fuels a boldness and a fervency to live on mission. When I understand God's promise, God's promise that, that he is the one who has sent us, I chose you. I chose you, and I appointed you. The promise that we just saw in, in Acts 1-8, that you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, boldness in mission comes from believing the promise, believing the promises of God, that He has sent us, that He is the one who has chosen us. He is the one that, that fills us. And even as Jesus, pre-crucifixion, was talking about, I'm sending you. Post-resurrection, he was saying the same thing. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, as surely as the Father sent Jesus, Jesus said, even so, I am sending you. I am sending you. Now, a lot of times if, if we would say, well, what is the Great Commission? Most of us, maybe if we've been around church for a while, we, we would probably immediately think Matthew 28, and maybe if we were asked to quote it, we would start off and say, go you therefore. Make disciples, right? But I want to suggest to you that that's not really where the Great Commission starts. Actually, you have to back up just a few words, because the Great Commission begins with a great promise. It begins with a great promise. In fact, it's, it's kind of bookend by this promise. Look at Matthew 28. Instead of starting in verse 19, look at verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He, this is the reason I can make this claim. This is the reason you can go forth in confidence. This is the reason that you can, can obey what I'm about to tell you with confidence because all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. In light of that, go. Go therefore and make disciples. Or as you're going would be a more literal translation. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then the bookend, back end of that promise, the one who has all authority says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You want to fuel boldness and fervency? And urgency and intentionality and in living on mission. Focus on God's promise. The one who has all authority says, I chose you and I appointed you. I'm sending you. It's not an accident you live where you live, work where you work, hang out in the social circles you hang out, have the resources that you have access to, have the opportunities you have access to, shop where you shop, vacation where you vacation, all of those things that that God chose you and appointed you. He sent you. He has commissioned you with all authority, and he has promised to be with you every step of the way. I'm fueled in my fervency for missions when I understand God's plan, when I understand God's promises, but more and more as I understand God's love.
as I understand God's love. Right back to John 15. Let's, let's look at verse 16 in the context of the verses that have gone before it. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. As we think about a Memorial Day weekend, we think about the one who ultimately, most powerfully laid down his life for us, Jesus Christ. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in my name, he may give it to you. What fuels a fervency for mission? When we understand God's love. When we understand that we're called to love others in the same way that Christ loved us. And we're going to actually uh, go even a little deeper in that in a couple of weeks. But, but understanding God's love. Paul, who became gripped uh, by God's love, put it this way. For the love of Christ controls us. Some translations say compels us. Because we've concluded this, that one has died for all. And therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. There's something about being gripped by God's love when you come to understand that that unmerited, unearned love that God has for you and for me that, that begins to compel us to love others in the same way. And so I just ask you on this Memorial Day weekend, where would you be without Jesus? Where would you be if Jesus Christ had not given up the glories of heaven and come to earth? Where would you and I be if he did not live the life that you and I were called to live and died the death that we deserve to die? Where would you be? Where would you be in this life looking for meaning and significance and hope and direction in all the wrong places? Seeking satisfaction in that which would never satisfy Where would you be eternally separated, separated from God's love in a very real place that Jesus talked about, hell? Where would you be without Jesus? And if he so loved you and I, what would love ask you to do? in the life of another? What would it ask you to share? You see, living on mission is an act of obedience, for sure. But it is an act of love. I mean, when you begin to think about where you would be without Jesus, how, how unloving do I have to be to not share Jesus with somebody else, right? It's that love that captures my heart and compels me to share. And we say, okay, okay, I, I get it, I get it, I get it. I mean, God's plan and God's promise and God's love. But the reality is, 
We can go, some folks can go and come to church almost every week of their life and never share Christ. We can go months at a time and maybe not even really think about it consciously. Or we may soothe ourselves that if I go on an occasional mission trip, that's all it takes, right? Why? Why is that? The needs are so many and we've got, all of us got issues in our own life and the people we love and care about. I mean, my goodness, we could spend the rest of the weekend just sharing burdens just in this room right now, all right? I want to suggest to you, it's not an exhaustive list, but some things that I've become aware of in my own life that keep me from living on mission and maybe you can identify The first one is we're walking according to the flesh instead of according to the Spirit. And we talked about that earlier in this series. And let's face it, if I'm walking according to the flesh, I'm not going to live for Christ. I'm not going to love other people enough to get uncomfortable, right? And most of us, if we've hung out at church for a while, we can rationalize, we can justify we can excuse. But the bottom line is I'm living according to the flesh more than I'm walking according to the Spirit. Sometimes we care more about what other people think of us than we do someone's soul. Anybody want to say ouch? Somebody say you're stepping on my toes. That's all right, mine are black and blue, so, you know, it's all right, okay, all right. But there are times where God's just confronted me. You were more concerned about what other people thought about you than you were about someone's soul. That's humbling. Sometimes I don't think we really believe the gospel. I mean, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul wrote, because it is the power of God unto salvation. Sometimes, I don't know. I don't know if they'd be interested. Or, you know, I, they're such a good person. They're moral. They're a good neighbor. They're a good coworker. They would get messy in our family. They went to church when they were younger. But we really believe the gospel. Sometimes we don't really know or relate to anyone who's not saved. I mean, after being a Christian for a number of years, our circle sometimes gets more and more filled with believers. And, you know, we kind of, kind of sometimes think of like Lego blocks or something, like there's like only so many points of connection, <laughs> and sometimes we get all our connectors filled up. And it requires me to love enough to initiate breaking out of the holy huddle, initiate 
relationships with those who may be far from God, even if they're close to me. And even if we kind of know them, sometimes we don't relate to them very, very well. And then I think sometimes, and again, this is not an exhaustive list, but I'll just give you one more. Sometimes we're just not sure what to say, right? You know, what do I say? What do I say? And if that's a challenge for you, I would say start with your story. (laughs) But then seize opportunities for training. There's tons of stuff online. There's resources here. We have trainings on an ongoing basis. If that's really a barrier, if that's genuinely the barrier, you can overcome that hurdle very, very, very quickly. And by the way, didn't Jesus say to us that he would be with us and that he would help us to know what to say in the midst of those moments? It is. So let me just encourage you again. We're just kind of lifting up this value again and again and again because most of us just need to be reminded of what we already know. Where do I start? Where do I start? And we would just encourage you to start around this idea of living a life of blessing. Living a life of blessing. And I'm just going to move through these quickly because we've, we've reviewed them a couple of times uh, already this year, but I, I just I want to keep it before us, all right? B says begin with prayer. Begin with prayer that I will pray for the people in my life and the places that I'm in. That there would be something that would happen in all of our lives if every single day, every morning we started off and just began to pray something as simple as this, God, give me today an opportunity to speak with someone about Jesus, the wisdom to see it, and the courage to take it. It's just something that simple, and if you don't like those words, find your own. (laughs) Those aren't magic, right? It's just a suggestion. But just to say, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for some of those that I know that are far from God. I'm going to pray for God's grace to bring a conviction of sin and bring a conversion into their life. But God, I'm going to pray for myself. Give me an opportunity to speak with someone today about Jesus, the wisdom to see it, the courage to take it. And then the L is just reminds me to listen, that I will listen to and discover the needs of others in the places where God's at work. We're all so busy, you know, some of our conversations are so surface at times. To be a man or a woman who actually takes a few moments to listen can be very powerful in today's culture, right? To listen, listen for God. See, we go into this knowing that God's already at work and we just get to join him, right? And so I just listen, listen to see where might God be at work? As I listen to God and I listen to people, I begin to sometimes see and sense those places where God may be at work. The E just encourages you to eat. We do that anyway, don't we? (laughs) Sometimes it's like, well, I'm so busy, I don't have to. Listen, just is there a way to incorporate some of the things you're already doing, whether it's eating or whether it's a hobby or, or whatever it might be. But I'll share meals. I'm just figuring out a way to spend time with the people in my life, including those who aren't connected to Jesus Christ. There's something powerful about sharing a meal, isn't there? 
There's something that just kind of, I mean, a lot of us, even if we're standing around in a social setting, if we have a cup in our hand, we feel much more comfortable, right? It's kind of like if we don't have a cup, we don't know what to do with our hands, right? You know, uh, it's, what do you, you know, uh, and so it's something about eating, something about doing something together just helps break down barriers. Doesn't have to be eating, but it just fits the acrostic, right? The first S is serve that I'll respond to the needs of others and help them in practical and impactful ways. And that's going to look different for every one of us because of the way that God's gifted us. You serve in alignment with how God's gifted you. And I'm just going to say, God, I want to be there. I want to be available to meet the needs of others and help them in practical and impactful ways. And as you serve... As you relate, as you pray, as you listen, God will give opportunity to share your story. And last as his story, that I'll share the story of Jesus and what he's doing in my life with others. Just start with your story. This is my story. <laughs> and I just, I share, just, they don't, have to agree with it but it's your story you get to tell it right. now let me try to pull this together and I and my purpose is not to to guilt us because guilt guilt probably won't last <laughs> through the holiday weekend right my purpose is to call us to the calling of Jesus Christ to call us Back to understand that we have been chosen and we have been appointed to go and bear much fruit. To understand God's grace, it's not only about what it does in us, but it's how it, it compels us externally to begin to invest in and impact the lives of other people, even the way that Jesus Christ came to us. I don't want this to be guilt-driven. Because that's not going to last. Right? I want it to be grace-driven, grace-fueled. Because I understand God's plan. I understand God's promises. I understand God's love. It seemed appropriate to me, as we think about Memorial Day weekend, we think about the freedoms that we have. I thought about, because it's just stuck with me for this year now. Many of you were here when uh, Ruth and Nick Ripken were with us for that insanity of God focus in that weekend. And the Ripkins said out of their own personal journey and pain and part of what God had directed them was to begin to discover how, how the church of Jesus Christ was functioning under persecution all across the world. And some of the stories that they shared with us over that weekend, some of the stories that are recorded in their, their book, and maybe you were here even for the movie, just compelling. One of the stories was out of Eastern Europe. A man now old by the name of Stoyan. And he had seen his father arrested and tortured and there's many more details in the book and emaciated 
they would just get to see him maybe once a year, twice a year, seeing a skeleton of a man. He saw the courage of his mother in the midst of that, even as she tried to smuggle in a New Testament. He experienced having to move because of the authorities coming and having to go and live in different places, sometimes with just a moment's notice to put something in a suitcase and run. Then he eventually, as a follower of Jesus Christ himself, would be jailed. Nothing to the extent that his father had had. But he certainly knew the persecution. And as he told all of these stories to to Nick, toward the end of his time, he looked at him. And and I want to read it because I want to make sure that I get the wording right. And he challenged him. Don't you ever give up in freedom what we would never give up in persecution. And that is our witness to the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Could it be that the enemy doesn't have to bring persecution to bear on us? Because he's already sung us to sleep. Persecution might just poke the bear. Yes, on a weekend like this, we celebrate unprecedented freedoms like the world has never known, like most followers of Jesus Christ throughout history have never, ever, 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 ever known. Don't ever give up in freedom. Well, we would never give up in persecution. And that is our witness to the power and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. May it be so. May it be so. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you for the freedom that we have most of all, the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. Father, thank you that you you have given us unprecedented freedom and with that unprecedented opportunity to take the gospel of Jesus Christ across the street and around the world. And Father, I just pray. I pray, Lord, for my own heart. I pray, Father, for hearts and minds across this fellowship of believers. Lord, I pray that you would stir in us a fresh awakening of grace, a grace that transforms us internally and propels us externally. Father, I pray, Lord, that more and more we revel in your love, that more and more freely, more and more boldly, with more and more a sense of urgency, we would share the grace, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, I just pray right now, would you just even in these few moments that remain, just remind us of who we are and who we've been called to be in Christ Jesus. Bring to our mind the names of some of those that we can right now carry before the throne.
and ask you to move powerfully in their lives. And then, Lord, just receive us as we present ourselves before you as instruments for you to use for the advancement of your kingdom.